Hello, welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Kaledi. I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 ABA Annual Meeting from San Francisco, the city that knows how. And uh, joining me now, I have Mark Chin. He's sitting with me. We're going to talk a little bit about family law and avoiding malpractice. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So you uh, you just completed your presentation. It was a CLE, a Continuing Legal Education uh, for Credit presentation. It was titled "The Top Ten Ways for Family Law Attorneys to Avoid Malpractice." And so, uh, as I understand, it was sponsored by the ABA section of Family Law. Is that correct? Yes, I'm a member of the Family Law section of the ABA and have been for about 30 years. It's been an incredible experience for me. I started going 30 years ago because I was sitting in my office in Jackson, Mississippi asking myself, how in the world do I know what I'm doing, really, when compared to the rest of the country? And so I I made a commitment to be a part of the American Bar Association Family Law Section and to go to all of their meetings. And over that process of 30 years, of three meetings a year, I learned a lot and learned how to refine my practice in all the best ways possible. Well, speaking of your practice, uh, during our uh, pregame discussion here, I learned that you're from Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi, the city of soul. The city of soul. There you go. And so I would, and obviously you practice in family law. And is that is that your only emphasis of uh, practice area? I've been focused solely in family law for about 25 years. Um, I was advised by a practice management specialist about 30 years ago to specialize. I didn't want to, but he was right. Uh, because if you can practice in one area, you can develop a level of expertise that allows you to perform at your very best and help people the most. And what kind of law firm do you practice in, like solo, big firm? At this time, it's uh, just me and a very wonderful associate and uh, a legal assistant. Excellent. So a small firm emphasis here. Uh, We started out building a pretty big firm, and I got up to as many as 12 or 14 people in my firm, and uh, we're running lean and, and clean now. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's transition to it. So uh, back to the top 10 ways for family law attorneys to avoid malpractice. And so just to kind of give me a little bit of uh, context in our listeners, too, that maybe aren't familiar with uh, family law, what was the 50,000 foot? How did this come up? Well, the, the thing that's important from what I talked about is that all lawyers hear talks on malpractice and they read articles on malpractice and they almost always focus on communication and they talk about how bar complaints and malpractice claims come from a lack of communication with the client. All lawyers know that. Unfortunately, all lawyers don't really get it and they don't really comply with it, but I was pretty certain that all the lawyers coming to the family law section meeting knew that they were supposed to communicate with clients. So I thought, how can I bring more to the table? How can I bring something to experienced family law attorneys who attend this meeting? How can I bring something different to them that they're not hearing every day? So what I did was I contacted insurance carriers who handle malpractice claims. I thought that the best way to find out what was really going on on ground zero is where the claims are being, not not where appellate court cases were being decided. And in talking with the insurance carriers, I learned a lot of a different general areas of malpractice that are being filed as claims as opposed to lawsuits. One of the things I learned in my research is, I learned this from CNA Insurance, who was very helpful to me. CNA advised me that for the last six years, there has been a higher frequency of malpractice claims in domestic relations practice than any other area of practice. 
The ABA has also done a study of malpractice claims and has found that claims against divorce lawyers or domestic lawyers is on the rise. And so it's something for us to really pay attention to. Now, I realize it wasn't necessarily part of your presentation, but do you have any theories as to why family law is uh, registering such, such a number of complaints? Uh, some people think it's because the nation has gone to a no-fault area of practice in family law where the focus is no longer on who did what and why or who's wrong. The focus has really shifted toward an, an analysis of the finances. And while there was always an analysis of the finances, it now is the focal point. And so now it focuses everybody's attention on whether or not that was done right. And the finances, discovering the finances, determining the finances, trying to analyze what finances are best for people. It's really lifetime planning for an entire family. It's very complicated, it's very difficult, and it can lead to inadequate representation if not either done properly or if the scope of the work is not properly defined so that everybody understands what each is trying to do. Yeah, and from my, my limited exposure to the, the family law practice, I, I never actually practiced in it myself, but I have You're friends. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, the financial component to it, I mean, uh, some some people get divorced later in life, um, you know, and that's a time when they need their assets for retirement. And now you're dividing up assets that are maybe put in an investment vehicle, uh, trying to produce retirement, um, you know, to get away from, from working uh, your regular job. Eventually, we all get old and we have to stop working. And so that can really put those type of assets at jeopardy. So I, I, the finance component definitely grabs my attention. I can tell you this. I've always said that divorce is composed of three parts. There's the legal part, there's the psychological part, and there's the financial part. Now, lawyers are trained in the legal part. We get experience in the psychological part, and we get experience one way or another in the financial part, unless we're trained as CPAs, of course, or financial planners. And so what I realized early on in my practice was never handle a divorce case without enlisting the assistance of a CPA or a certified financial planner because really when you get right down to it and when you throw children into the mix, you're really putting together a plan where parties are going to be connected together for the rest of their natural lives as long as they have children. From a financial standpoint, if you're representing somebody in a divorce, particularly as someone who doesn't have a lot of income on a monthly basis, you're doing financial planning for them for the rest of their lives. It's a huge responsibility. So I understand that uh, that your presentation was billed as 10 ways to avoid malpractice. And as we talked in our pregame, it's really six with some subparts. So why don't we uh, why don't we work on that? Uh, so what's the first way you can avoid malpractice in family law? Well, top 10 is always catchy, and it makes people think that I'm going to get some good information without having to listen to too much. So I let the title stick. It harkens I, back to Letterman a little <laughs> bit, too, I think, right? Right. I probably threw out about 30 tips uh, for malpractice prevention, but I would say I could narrow it down into some basic categories. Uh, to me, one of the most important things is the documentation of what you're going to do. Under current, most state uh, regulations and under ABA recommendations, written contracts are not required in divorce cases. And it's my opinion that no, no attorney should set out on any task of any size for any client without clearly documenting in a contract, in something in writing, when the representation begins, what the representation is about, 
the scope of the representation, and when the representation is uh, going to end. I also think it's really important that in the initial client interview and spelled out in the contract should be a description of what success looks like. Also, we can't guarantee success, but there should be a description always of what the client and the attorney are attempting to do. That way, there's less possibility for a mistake in adequate representation. Uh, another thing that is really a tremendous burden, anybody who has practiced law knows that we are an anxiety-driven trade. Everything we do has deadlines. Everything we do has hard and fast deadlines that can spell disaster for the lawyer from a malpractice standpoint or from a client satisfaction standpoint. Everything from when an answer is due, when requests for admissions are due, when things have to be done prior to a trial. And so it's hard to manage all those things mentally or through the use of the old ways. And what we have available to us today are fantastic softwares called case management software. These softwares allow us to merge all the people that we come in contact with, with, uh, with our calendars, with what we have to do and with our deadlines. So case management software allows us to program into our calendars deadlines and reminders to not only make sure that we have deadlines always in front of us and reminding us, but also having reminders in our calendar to help us stay up on the proper representation of our clients as we move through either a negotiation and particularly as we move towards a trial because so many things, a trial is really a theater production. And so a lot of things have to be brought together to make sure a trial comes to life in the proper form and in a way which a court will allow it to be introduced. That takes a lot of preparation. That takes reminders. Case management software really helps you do that. So that's your recommendation number two for ways not to commit malpractice. So how about number three? Don't work on things you don't know how to do. That makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, obviously, in a family law matter, what, what is an example of a kind of issue that someone might come in the door with a family law matter and some other issue comes up? What's, what's one of those, uh, just an example? Well, the, the interesting thing to me is that I probably figured this out only about six months ago when I was preparing this paper. And as I was looking at this area and thinking about some of the difficulties I face in my practice, I thought, you know, I'm really taking a stab at a lot of subspecialties in family law that I'm not a specialist in. And there are several areas. One area is what we call qualified domestic relations orders. Those are orders that divide pensions. Now, the federal pension law is an extremely complicated area. And so these pension orders, first of all, understanding the pensions, what kind they are, what kind of orders are required, and then understanding the language that the order has to have uh, is very complicated. And yet family law lawyers like myself are using uh, form orders and, and using them on a regular basis. And for the most part, they work, but it's a dangerous area. So qualified domestic relations orders are what we call quadros. Another one, in my opinion, is, is federal and state employee work. Uh, federal employees have an awful lot of benefits that are very complicated from federally accumulated sick pay, sick leave, uh, vacation pay, uh, savings plans, pension plans. 
a lot of benefits that the normal person might not be aware of. And it's in my opinion that you should always get the assistance of a federal uh, benefits expert when you're working on a case involving a federal employee. Another area that's extremely complicated is military divorce. The military has all kinds of procedures you know that we have no clue about if we've never served in or are not currently serving in the military. So uh, one of our section members, Mark Sullivan from Raleigh, North Carolina, has written the Military Divorce Handbook, and it's recently been revised, and it's a massive seller. Uh, what I tell people is it's about 600 pages long, and it's got everything you could possibly want to know about military law in it. But what occurs to me is that if you're getting a book that's 600 pages long to help you do something, maybe you ought to just call up the guy who wrote it and get some help <laughs> instead of trying to, to figure out what he wrote in 600 pages. So, Are you going to leave his number on the podcast? <laughs> I'm sure Mark Sullen would love to have that done. If you'll give me a second to look him up, I'll do that. But, you know, I think if you're going to handle a military divorce, unless you're very familiar with it or you've been in the military, it's probably a good idea to get a consult from a military divorce lawyer to help you make sure you've covered all the bases on a military divorce. So don't do what you don't know. Don't do what you don't know how to do. All right, Get what's, some help. What's number four? What's next? Checklists. 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 I'm a big fan of checklists. I use Evernote because I am all about the checklist. But what in I terms of family people, law, what kind of checklists are you using? What I tell people about checklists is that a lot of the experienced lawyers say, I don't need a checklist. I've been doing this. You for, need a checklist. I've been doing it for 20 years, and you know I know what I'm doing. But... But uh, a number of years ago, I had a wonderful opportunity to learn how to fly. I became a private pilot. And the thing that amazed me about private piloting was there's a checklist for every single move you make, every single situation. And no matter how long you've flown, that checklist is on your lap. And every time you go through a procedure, even as an experienced pilot, you use that checklist. Think about back in the days when you could look into the cockpit when you were on a plane. Those pilots had those checklists right there. Who wouldn't want them to have them right there? Yeah, that's and right. That's, and that's why. That's so you don't miss something. And so I'm a big believer. Uh, when you embark upon a task in your law firm, document what you're doing in a way which is you think maybe the model way to do it. Try to do it in that model way and take some extra time on that occasion to document your, what you're doing and create a checklist. Then the next time you do it, you don't have to think and you can follow the checklist. My audio engineers are now rolling their eyes. We have some, uh, we're getting more advanced checklists. So we have a motto, uh, you know, make sure to checklist yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, love it. Yes. Love yes. it. All right. So number five, what's next on your list? One of the things that I'm a big believer in is follow-up. Uh, you might call it service after the sale. Um, I think that's selling that concept short. Um, I had a client once that I just loved and I'd done a great job for, and she and I were friends. And many years after I had concluded a case where I uh, got custody of her son back for her, she told me that her son had just finished college and was very happy that he graduated from Mississippi State. And I said, well, did you get his dad to help you with that? And she said, well, no, I, I didn't know. And 
I said, well, I could have gotten him to help you with that. She said, well, I didn't know that. And I, I swore to myself then that no client of mine would ever walk out of my door without having a, a, a good idea of what, what there was in the future. So I've developed checklists for telling clients how to approach matters that might come up in the future. And I've also, using my case management system software, scheduled uh, interviews with my clients following the conclusion of the representation at important times. So for example, I have an annual check. It's just all I have to do is send them an email. How you doing? What are some of the things that are going on? And I devised a form letter that covers a lot of the different things that can arise following a divorce that they need to be thinking about. So I just annually will send that in front of them so they can think about it. So a number of things come from that. Number one, I'm doing right by my people, making sure that that nothing gets missed that could have been helped. Uh, Another thing is I'm getting in front of people that I have successfully represented before. It's, It's said by almost any marketing specialist anywhere that the best source of referrals is people who've been willing to hire you in the past. And so just closing a case and forgetting about a person doesn't feel good personally because you develop a relationship, but it's also smart from a marketing standpoint to stay in, in front of them in top of mind awareness with them. Well, Mark, we're uh, running out of time here, but I have one last quick question for you. You know, if our listeners out there, they have some questions, they want to learn more about these ways to keep them outside of the purview of a uh, malpractice suit, uh, how can they find you? Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Mark Chin at Chin and Associates at 4316 Old Canton Road in Jackson, Mississippi. My email is mark, M-A-R-K, at chinlaw.com, C-H-I-N-N-L-A-W.com. I'd love for anybody who wants to talk about these kinds of issues to send me an email. I'd be happy to uh, correspond with them, become friends with them, and share thoughts on all these issues. Well, thank you so much for making yourself available today. Thank you. I've enjoyed this. Also want to thank our listeners for tuning in because without you, we don't have a show. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Clitty signing off from the ABA annual meeting here in San Francisco, California. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Consult a lawyer.